we believe, and it's a biblical teaching, that there is nothing of kingdom value that happens without the move of God. And the thing that unleashes the move of God is, is the power of prayer. And we, we, we just never want to forget that. That's, that's the foundation. So please take on some ownership of the ministry here by committing yourself to invest in prayer for it. The leadership, the children's ministry, or, or, or what have you. I sense in, in my spirit, and I don't know what will come of it, but, but that God is... Um, there's something stirring in the heavenlies, and I think it's a good thing. I'm not talking about a negative thing. There's always negative stuff. That's the given. But, but I'm, I'm sensing that God wants to, to do something uh, with us. A part of it, I think, is, is just getting us a different location. Huh? Uh, it's a little crowded here, isn't it? You folks in the overflow room, you're probably saying amen, aren't you? Um, but just to house more of what God wants to do. The, the bottom line is that there's so much that needs to be done. And I, our heart is simply to have Woodland Hills play whatever role, whatever niche we're supposed to play in the kingdom of God here in the Twin Cities. We want to play that, amen? Uh, and um, one thing I know for sure is that, that, that St. Paul in particular, which is kind of our heart, it needs a revival big time. And whatever role God wants to use the ministry here and to bring about that, not just here, but also here, but in other places, we want to play that role. It will not, will not, will not happen without prayer. And so I just want to leverage everything on encouraging you to, to be in prayer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We're continuing our study of this. Let me just say, it's good to be back. I was gone last week, and we traded pulpits with North Heights Church. That's another piece to this whole thing, you guys, as, as the Lord is building His kingdom here. He's teaching us how to work like a team and think like a team, and how to share resources like a team. We in North Heights, an open door, and if we were seeing things correctly, every other congregation in St. Paul and the Twin Cities is part of one team. And we just have got to start thinking like that and acting like that and sharing resources. So occasionally we're going to be trading pulpits and we're going to be in dialogue about how to use each other's resources with children's ministry and youth and, and whatnot. And along those lines, I'll just say that we are putting on a passion play and it's held at North Heights. It's really good. <laughs> so go and check it out. It really is fantastic. Hebrews chapter 9. They put the bill, we take partial credit. I love this arrangement. <laughs> I'm going to be reading quite a bit of scripture here. Um, I have something on my heart that is, is just uh, thick. And I want to lay the groundwork for it by reading a good portion of scripture here. And you can feel free to accuse me of, of, of reading the Bible too much in church if you want. <laughs> but uh, I'll stand by this. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with the blood that is not his own, as in the Old Testament. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by sacrificing himself. 
He has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to remove sin, praise God, by sacrificing Himself. We're getting to the heart, heart, heart of the Gospel here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19-23. through Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary, this is the real sanctuary now, not the Old Testament sanctuary, which was a copy, a shadow of the the real one, we, through the blood of Jesus, have access to the real one. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. His flesh was the curtain. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. I want to read one other passage of Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but it's found in Hosea 11. In fact, it's the whole chapter. It's 11 verses. And as a way of preaching the text I just read, I want to read this text. And I pray that the Lord would just help us see His heart in this thing. If you understand the heart of God revealed in Hebrews or in, in Hosea chapter 11... You'll understand what the author of Hebrews is talking about. You'll also understand what is sometimes the most commonly asked, one of the most commonly asked questions of, of non-believers today, and that is, and even of believers. I just, I just was asked this last, two weeks ago by a woman who attends here who's a, who's a Muslim. We're a very diverse congregation. And uh, she asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why, did, why do you have to believe that Jesus is God? Um, what took place there on the cross, I don't get it. We're, this is what Hebrews is about. This is also what, what Hosea chapter 11 is about. The Lord says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, that is these, these pagan gods, and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. The image there is really a motherly image because this was mainly a mother's job in ancient Israel. When you teach someone how to walk, a little child how to walk, they used to have these cords. And many scholars believe he's referring to this. It's like they teach them how to walk by holding them up with these cords. And, 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 and the Lord is saying, I taught Ephraim, my little child, how to walk. Showing a mother's love for, for Israel. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. So the Lord's giving us His heart here. About His love for Israel. How oh, it's a little child in His arms. He's got this mother's love for this child. But then he says this in verse 5, They shall return to the land of Egypt. I taught them how to walk out of Egypt, but they're going to go back there. And Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities, 
And you have to hear the heart of God breaking here. He's talking about his baby. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me to the most to the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. So judgment is going to come on Israel. This little child that God loves like a mother loves her little infant son. God loves Israel. But then he says there's judgment that's going to come. Their cities are going to be ravaged. They're going to return to Egypt. Assyria is going to be their king. But then he says this in verse 8. Listen to this. You hear the heart of God here. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like... Now he's going to give some pagan uh, towns that were destroyed. How can I make you like, like Adama? And how can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. This is the heart of God here. There's got to be judgment. There's stuff here that's got to be judged. And so he pronounces judgment. But then, like a parent in love, his heart recoils. He says, I can't do it. How can I do this? How can I bring myself to do this? Enter into the inner struggle of God as his love stands in tension with his justice. And then he says this, I will not execute my fierce anger. I can't do it. I will not again destroy Ephraim, this little child I taught how to walk. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. I roar like a lion. But you know what? Someday they're going to be following me, he's saying. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. The Lord is just saying there, i got to judge them. They are going to have to come back from Egypt. They're gonna, that means they're going to go into Egypt. But my heart is aching over this, and in some way I'm going to win them over. I'm going to win them over. This is what the whole book of Hosea is about. If you understand the struggle of God's heart here, you're going to understand what, what the cross is all about, what this Holy of Holies is all about. Pray with me for a moment here. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the beauty of who you are. My only prayer this morning, God, was that every person in this place could see and could taste something of your beauty, God. And the, the extreme to which you went to have us as your children. God, I pray that the understanding would be open, our eyes would be open, the understanding of our hearts would be open, the ears of our soul would be open, and that, Lord God, you'd be real to your people here. And for any who do not know you, Lord, I pray, God, this morning would be the time in which they would make the commitment to accept your embrace. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me begin by drawing our attention to this. Each one of us has, in the core of our being, and they. I gotta get over this. Hang on a second here. Each one of us has, in the core of our hearts, an inner chamber. Something like the Holy of Holies. It's the most private, most personal dimension of our being. It's the core of who we are, it's the essence of who we are. It is what the Bible calls our spirit. It's the place where we, if we have a healthy relationship with the Lord, it's the place where we dwell with the Lord. 
As we experience it, it is the place that harbors our deepest hopes and dreams about what life is supposed to be. It's the place where we harbor our secrets, our fears. It's the place where sometimes we harbor our shame. Very few people get into that room. For some people, nobody gets into that room. You can know a person for 30, 40 years. You can be married to a person for 30 or 40 years and never get inside the inner room and not even know it. Before we let anyone into the innermost room of our heart, we need to be assured that they trust us. We need to be assured that they are like-minded, like-heart, that, they're, that, they're, that they meet a certain criteria that we're looking for. There needs to be a compatibility in our perception, at least, between who this person is and what they're going to find if they get into our heart. Because if they're incompatible, we'll never let them in. We can't let them in. Because in this inner room is stored all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our aspirations, and all of our fears, and all of our shame. Some people's room is, in terms of how they experience it, in shambles. It's filled with shame. And so nobody meets the criteria that would be safe enough to let them in. In fact, in some people's room, it is so painful to be here let alone letting someone into the room to investigate, investigate the furniture of this room. It's so painful they themselves don't live there. You hear what I'm saying this morning? They don't want to see. They don't want to be reminded of. They don't want to dwell with the memories of whatever it is that it says about themselves. And so they lock themselves and everybody else outside of this room. It's one of the reasons why sometimes the outside of us and the inside of us is so different. But nobody knows. Sometimes a person can brag a lot. They're always bragging about their achievements or whatever, and you think, oh man, this guy's got a superiority complex. But if you could get inside their inner room, which hardly anyone, maybe nobody ever does, if you could see inside the room, you might find that in fact there's a little kid who's, who's always feeling inferior, never feeling good enough. And so this person locks himself, lives outside the domain of that room so as not to deal with it, but their whole life is spent trying to deny what is really there. The person who's so self-confident, so successful, the overachiever who always does it better than anybody else. If you got on the inside of that room, you might find that, in fact, there's a little kid who's just trying not to strike out because dad is watching. And everything about their life, Spend trying to stay out of that room and never letting anyone on the inside of the room because they don't want to see the furniture of the, the couch of abuse or the table of pain that they see when they're in that room so they keep everybody out. To know the person, you'd have to get on the inside of the room. And you'd have to be safe and compatible with them. Let me just say this. This isn't the message I'm going to preach this morning, but I, I, I need to say it. You will spend your life, you will spend your life doing something to some degree other than what God would have you to spend your life doing if you don't let him inside your room. And you'll live your life to some degree, to a significant degree, less than how God would want you to live it, experiencing the full riches of his glory if you don't invite him into that room. And to invite him into the room, I don't mean clean up your room so he can come in. You'll never get the room cleaned up unless you invite them in when it's messy. 
We so often do the Martha thing, you know, where we try to clean up the house to make Jesus comfortable. He's comfortable in the mess if you just sit at his feet. But to do that, you need to invite him into the inner room. Let me share with you this testimony. Um, went to, with, with, with a number of people, um, several weeks ago, went to pray at a person's house. This is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. God specializes in doing beautiful things. Went to this person's house to pray for them. This is a person who's, who's dying, has a terminal illness. And we and several others were going to go on this Sunday night and pray for them. When we got there, it turns out that somebody else in the congregation who also has kind of a prayer healing ministry was at this person's house praying for them. Her name is Julie. And she was praying for them. We walked into the house and, and Julie had just left. This man was just bawling. Not exactly what we thought we'd find, not exactly what we'd hoped to find. You know, we were thinking that we could just pray and come in here and heal and whatever. The man was just bawling. But he was bawling for joy. Because what had happened was this. As Julie was praying for this man, a young man with terminal illness, a sad, sad situation. And I know Julie went there thinking that we're going to pray and pray for physical healing and get him healed and glorify God. And I'm sure he was hoping for physical healing. But what he actually got was something more precious than physical healing. He got Jesus into the inner room. And as this woman was praying for him, she got a picture it's called in the Bible a word of knowledge. The gifts of the Spirit are still operative today if the people of God are listening and willing to step out and try it. She got this picture and she shared it with him. The picture was of a little boy sitting on, the, on some church steps out in the cold. A little boy sitting on the church steps sobbing. And she just said, I have this picture. I don't know why. I'm praying for healing and I'm getting this picture of a little boy sitting on the church steps out in the cold sobbing, feeling very alone. And as soon as she said that, this man was slaughtered just slaughtered in a good way. As it turns out that when he was, I guess, five, six, seven years old, his parents used to drop him off at a church and leave him there and, and then they'd go home and then pick him up after church was over. He'd go to Sunday school. But for some reason on this particular cold day, the church wasn't open. But by the time the little boy found that out, the parents were gone. And for one or two hours, he had to sit on the steps out in the cold in the city, scared to death that someone's going to get him, freezing, feeling absolutely abandoned. Absolutely abandoned. For a little kid, it feels like an eternity. And something as traumatic as that, he never told his parents about it. He never told any. He didn't even tell his spouse about this. But an experience like this for a little kid is so traumatizing, he internalized as a part of his inner room this, this abandonment. And that became, as often happens to us when we, when we have really strong, impressionable memories that are going on in our head, it becomes sort of the interpretive grid through which you experience everything else. Later on, this man's father became very ill and he was never around to play with him. So he again experienced abandonment. And throughout his life, in various ways, he was feeling abandoned by people. And now he's got terminal illness, terminal cancer. And guess who he's feeling abandoned by? Where's God? I'm rejected. I'm always locked outside the church, locked outside the blessing, always on the outside, waiting for someone to pick me up. The kid inside the room is still crying out abandonment. But he'd never even dealt with that. He'd locked himself outside of that room because it was too painful. God just dropped the gift through Julie of the little key that unlocked that room. 
And when she shared that, this man just, 30 years of pent-up pain come out. And then God gives him this gift. He gets a picture. He gets a word. And it's a picture of Jesus embracing him on that church step, warming him on that church step. And then he gets a picture of Jesus and this little boy playing together in a room. And he is this adult that's watching them. God begins to heal in the inner room if you let him in, if you let him in. And my word this morning, it's not what I'm preaching, but my word is let him into the inner room. Let him all the way in. You might even be so locked out, you don't even know you're on the outside. Let him show you the doors that you have not opened up for him. And let him in to begin to do that healing, to begin to bring his love into that room. We all have that inner room. It's so crucial that we let him in. It's so crucial that we let each other in. Because there is no real relationship, there is no real intimacy without that. God also has an inner room. We're made in his image. He's the super example of what we are. He's got an inner room. He's got a heart of hearts. He's got a center, a soul which is his essence. It is this that is symbolized by the room in the tabernacle in the Old Testament called the Holy of Holies. It was the, to the Israelite in the Old Testament, it was the closest you could ever get to God because this represented his heart. God's a holy God and this is the holy of holies. It is the center of who God is. God wants, his heart is to love us. His innermost being, his essence is to love us. But here's the problem, and if we understand this problem, you'll understand what the author of Hebrews is is, is about. To get into God's heart, just like to get into our heart, there's got to be consistency. There's got to be congruity. There's got to be compatibility. God is holy, and His inner heart is the holy of holies. But as you know from Scripture and from your own experience, we are not holy. We are a fallen people. We, like Israel, are at odds with God. We sin. God, who is holy, cannot just condone that, can't just embrace that. There's a sin by its essence. The very definition of sin is it is opposite what is God. It is antithetical to God. It is as opposite God's nature as cyanide is to us. What happens if we ingest cyanide? It destroys us. God cannot, by, by remaining consistent with himself, God cannot just embrace sin. It's against his nature. He'd have to stop being God to do it. That's what, he can't do that. So there is this conflict in God. He's got, his, his very essence is love. Every person ever created, he loves, and yet there is this conflict because he can't just let sin go. Forgive and forget, like bygones be bygones. Oh, no big deal. You know, let's just erase it all. Because we're sinners. And no matter who sins against us, we are at least as sinful as them, so we are in no position to judge them. But God is the standard against which all sin is measured. What is God to do? You see this struggle, this this warfare in the heart of God in the book of Hosea. There's stuff going on in Israel that he cannot just gainsay. He can't say, oh, there they go again, too bad. Well, you know, we'll just work through it. No, this stuff has got to be judged. There can be, in terms of God's holy essence, no compromising on this. There's got to be judgment, and yet you see the heart of God. The innermost part of God is saying, but I love him. 
but I love them. There's got to be judgment, but it says here, my heart recoils. It's turned back. There's actually like a war going on. i got to judge them, but my heart is to love them. I want to embrace them. I want to save them. I want to dwell with them, but I can't. I can't. Just let this go. A couple nights ago, I was wondering how I'm going to communicate this, and something happened that the Lord said, ah, there you go. I don't think he ordained this, but now that it happened, he said, this is an illustration you can use. The other night I came home, uh, my wife and I came home, and uh, I won't go into the details of what happened, but to make a long story short, I got very angry at my son. I got very, I'm talking angry here, folks. Um, And there was just a behavior that was unacceptable. And you know how it is. Parents, you're with me here. I want to get an amen out of this. You, you bend and bend and bend, and you, you, you try to be nice, and you work around it, and you, you, you just, oh, maybe next time it won't be so bad, and da 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 But there comes a point, does there not, where something snaps. Hopefully it's not your sanity. But a line gets crossed. And I just knew that right here, right now, this has got to stop, and I've got to get a message across to this boy that he will never forget, and it's got, the boom has got to be lowered now. And so I did. And Okay, thank you. And I don't feel bad about it. For the most part, it wasn't ungodly, but I just, I just, <laughs> you, who's got, and it was boom. I have never been so angry at him, and he's never seen me like this. And the behavior stopped. And it was, he, he just stared, petrified, like, like, what is this, you know? And I just unleashed, just unleashed. And it needed to happen. I, I don't feel bad about that, okay? There's other times I do feel bad about it, but this wasn't one of them. I got done. I put him into the bed, said my final word, walked out, slammed the door, shut off the light. It is done. It is finished. <laughs> I stood outside the door. You know how that is? <laughs> calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. You know, you're, you're calm blue ocean. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, calm down. Your heart's beating, you're, you're, you're just, your skin's crawling. And then a voice got through. And the voice said, don't let that be your final word tonight. Show them your heart. Show them your heart. And I knew what I had to do. Do you know how hard it is? Spouses, when you are fighting at one another... The last thing you feel like doing, is this not true, is to show the other person your heart, to say, oh, but I still love you. You know, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to, you want to grab a frying pan or something you just, you know, you, and bang yourself, okay? I, you, you know, you, you don't want to do that. Or when you're fighting with your kids, but the Lord is saying, that can't show them your heart. And then I felt the, the heart begin to warm up. Like the Lord says, I feel my love and tenderness rising up within me in Hosea 11. I knew what I had to do, and I turned around after about a minute, and I walked back into the room, and I just went over to him, and I gave him a big hug. Just hugged him. And I said, I'm not sorry I said and did what I said and did. I'm sorry I had to do it. But you got to know that I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. But this behavior has got to stop. But you got to know when I'm angry, I love you. 
I love you. <laughs> Never thought I'd be saying that, you know? It's like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. It does. <laughs> I was hugging him and just let him know that. And I think that is exactly the disposition of God in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, you read the Bible sometimes, and there is this wrath. There's the judgment. There's this austere condemnation of sin, and it's got to be there. That's got to be there. But the Lord wants us to see his heart. That's what he does, but who he is, what he is in the innermost heart, in the Holy of Holies, is his love. In the Old Testament, it was symbolized by this room, the Holy of Holies. And the most important piece of furniture in this room, the Holy of Holies, We'll talk about some of the furniture in the weeks to come, but the most important one was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Even back in the Old Testament, when God was still teaching the toddler humanity about the severity of sin, the center of the room is mercy. And the high priest, once a year, with fear and trembling, because God was really driving on the point of how austere this is, if anyone tried to go into this inner room called the Holy of Holies, this room in the, in the tent in the Old Testament, if they tried to go in other than once a year, if, if someone other than the high priest tried to go in, if they didn't do it just right, they died immediately. Because the Lord is saying, there's only one way into my heart. And you can't come through the back door. Once a year, the high priest would offer up these animals and he'd cover himself in blood and he'd cover the furniture in blood and he'd go into this holy of holies behind the curtain and on this mercy seat would offer up sacrifices both for himself and for the people of Israel. And then the glory of God would come down in a cloud and if everything had been done right and if God accepted the, the sacrifice, the atonement was made. It was called the Day of Atonement. And God accepted the sacrifice of the sins of the people for that year. Now, of course, God wasn't delighting in, in the animals that were sacrificed. That wasn't the point. But what the Lord was showing there in a typological way was, sin is a serious thing. He can't just let it go. It, it costs everything. Death is the result of sin because it means you're incompatible with God. All of that in the Old Testament points towards a reality a beautiful reality that the author of Hebrews is bringing to us in Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. The reality to which it points to is this. When Jesus went up on the cross, when Jesus grabbed the cross and took it with Him to Calvary, He entered the Holy of Holies. We talked about two weeks ago how the spirit world isn't spatially located, but it's no less real for that. For that reason, there is a holy of holies. And when Jesus walked up Calvary with his cross and there was crucified and allowed himself to be sacrificed, he was entering the holy of holies. This expresses the innermost heart of God. Calvary, the cross of Calvary, this sacrifice which would for all time to come and for all time in the past cover the sins of everybody who grabs hold of it, this cross expresses the innermost being of God. It expresses the, in the most intense way imaginable, the polarity in God's heart between his justice and his love. And not only does it express the polarity of his justice and love, but it expresses 
expresses how God resolves this most important of all questions, namely, how can I in my heart have fellowship with sinful human beings? The cross answers that. Because what the cross shows us, Lord, just give us clarity on this. Not just information, but Lord, help us to taste it, to hear it. Make it real to us, Lord God. Use the words to make it real. What the cross shows us is this. Jesus, when he went into this Holy of Holies, he didn't offer up something else, an animal or whatever. He offered up himself. And he didn't find a mercy seat like the old person in the Old Testament did. He carried the mercy seat and was crucified on that mercy seat. The cross is his mercy seat, and he's doing this in the Holy of Holies, in the heart of God. What it comes out to, to mean is this. God, out of his own love, his infinite love, satisfies his own justice. That polarity. God, out of his infinite love, pays the price that his own justice deserve, demands, praise God. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He's not some secondary party. He is himself God Almighty, the Son of God. And so what we see here on the cross of Calvary is God Almighty paying the price, out of his love, paying the price of his own justice. God Almighty suffering under his own condemnation. God Almighty, out of his love, suffering under his own wrath. God Almighty, out of his love, suffering the the fire of God's judgment against all sin, all time past, all time future. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, out of his infinite love, absorbing in and paying the price with ingesting the justice that his holiness deserves. On the cross it says it all. That's how God resolves it, praise God. He himself takes it on himself and pays the price. God Almighty does this. He experiences God-forsakenness. You ask, how can you how can he do that? I don't know. But I know this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. He took upon himself in a way that we can't begin to imagine. His love found a way. His love found a way to take upon himself everything that he, by his own nature, has got to judge, has got to condemn, has got to send to hell. He takes it upon himself and he experiences it. He ingests it. He's condemned by it. So he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just when it looks, oh, follow me on this, just when it looks like there's separation between God the Father and God the Son, you know what? There's the most incredible unity because what unites them is love. God is love. And this expresses the most incomprehensible, beautiful, passionate kind of love we can ever begin to fathom. God, out of his love, absorbs within himself God-forsakenness. And Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And this kind of glory, as it always did, comes down, as it were, and devours the sacrifice. And atonement is made, praise God. Atonement is made. Reconciliation is done. And now we, who put our trust in the cross of Calvary, who put our trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made, we don't go in once a year. It's not one person once a year going in behind the veil uh, with fear and trembling. But now the Lord shows us his heart. You've got to know my heart. You've got to see my heart. When you open up the heart of God, when you do heart surgery on God, what you'll see is a pulsating cross there. 
A Paul sitting cross that says, you got to know, yeah, the, the wrath, the sin, i got to do that. I have done it, and I did it to myself because I love you, because I want fellowship with you, because I want to be with you throughout eternity, because I will do whatever it takes to give you any ch- every chance they could ever have to be in fellowship with me. That's the heart of God's heart. Everything else is what God does, but this is who God is. In the temple, in the Holy of Holies, the Bible says he lives to make intercession for us. When you look at the cross, you're seeing the heart of God. Here, God is naked. Here's naked. He's standing, he's saying, look at me. That's why the Bible says that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain that, that was in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else, it was torn asunder from top to bottom. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51. It was torn asunder from top to bottom, showing that a human being didn't do it by their works going from the bottom up. No, this was God from the top down. And that curtain, that's a symbol now. It points to a reality. The reality, the author says, was Jesus' flesh. He was torn asunder so that now we, who are in and of ourselves, we would be forever eternally incompatible with God. We now can go, the author says, with confidence and boldness, with joy into the holy of holies. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there's no more boundaries, there's no more fear, there's no more wall, there's no more condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Because of the cross of Calvary, the Lord says, whosoever will trust in Jesus Christ can now come, not just in an outside kind of way, but come into my inner heart, come into my heart of hearts, come dwell with me in my innermost being. The heart of God is mercy. And he wants to extend it to every person in this place here this morning. To come full circle on this, what we see here is this. We've been talking about the tent in the Old Testament, the tabernacle. It was a type. It was a shadow of the reality. The reality we saw several weeks ago was, first of all, Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. He's God tabernacling with us. This is God's step towards us. He wants to dwell with us. We then saw that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Okay, God, God's getting closer, and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then we saw that God dwells between us. The church as a whole is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But now here, in the book of Hebrews, we find the culminating point of the whole thing, and that is this. God doesn't want to just come to us and be in us. He wants us to be in him. He invites us into the Holy of Holies. His love wants nothing less than this. What you see here is this. You know that inner room that we talked about in our heart? That inner room? And he wants to come into the inner room. He now invites us into his inner room. And the goal of the whole thing, there's nothing more beautiful than this, is he wants our inner rooms to be the same. Let's take my room and your room and let's move in together. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, I pray that they may be one in us, even as we are one. May our relationship with them reflect our relationship with each other, he's saying. I in them and they in me. This is love, praise God. Throughout eternity, God wanted. This is the goal of the whole thing. This is it. Bottom line, nutshell, here it is. God, from the beginning, wanted the creation to mirror himself. He wanted to have a relationship with us that would mirror his relationship with himself. He is love within himself. Now he wants to be love outward. The triune God is perfectly one in love. 
There's three distinct persons, but they indwell one another. It's called perichoresis. Their inner rooms are not separate from each other. They've got one inner room, one heart. And now God wants to have the same relationship with us. Can you believe it? He wants to have the same relationship with us. Will you come into my heart, he says, and dwell here? You can now, because when you believe, you're covered by the blood. The sins are washed. The condemnation is gone. Come into my inner heart. Let me into your inner heart. Be in me and I in you, that we may be one, even as I and the Father are one. I close with these questions as the, as the worship team comes. I, I want to... We've talked about it. Let's do it. Here's the question. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've never put your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, everything we just said, it doesn't apply to you until you receive it. God, God doesn't force this on you. You need to receive it. There's only one way into the Holy of Holies, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we're singing this song, as we're worshiping God, I invite you to come forward here. And I invite the, the, the uh, altar ministers to come forward here. And they would just lead you in a prayer that does the whole thing. You're washed by the blood of the Lamb the minute you pray it. Come forward. Others of us, I ask this question. Are you letting God into the inner room? Are you letting yourself into the inner room? Are you letting anybody into the inner room? Let Jesus Christ in there. He's gentle. He's safe. He's grace. He's mercy. And let him begin his healing work in your life. Do it this morning as we're worshiping the Lord. And then, to all of us who are believers, are, are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness to come into the inner room? Are you pursuing God? Are you settling for an outer court relationship with God when God all the while wants you to come into his inner room? Take me past the outer court. We need to pray. Into the holy place. Past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Take me past the crowds of people and the priests who sing their praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it only is found in one place. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. By faith you're covered by, with his blood. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the coal and cleanse my lip. Just a way of saying, purify me for service. Here I am. Let's spend three, four minutes, you guys. Push out everything, everything else in your life because God's worthy of all your attention. And right now, let's worship him. The altar is open. If you want to come forward for prayer for any, any need, any reason, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, then do so.